Well, it is Mackley and McGarry, but it isn't Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling. It is Kelly Moore and Tristan Field-Jones with you. Yes, Brett McGarry will return tomorrow, mm-hmm. and Greg Mackling will return in a week and a half. In a, yeah, in a little yeah, bit. They're so, enjoying some well-deserved time off. So then it'll become McGarry and Field-Jones, and or whatever. whatever variation of the program you want it. But let's, as uh, our good friend Peter Warren used to say, get down get to on business. with it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Get on with it. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that's the one. Uh, we are here, and we're going to open up the phone lines right away here, 204-780-6868. And you can text us at that number anytime. We always appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, Kelly, today we were, uh, there was another announcement from the government regarding more changes to the healthcare system. It seems as if it's every week there's some big uh, change taking place. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily opposed to change, but I have to admit, if I was a member of the Manitoba mm-hmm. Nurses Union, my head would be spinning a little bit with what has gone on. And and with this latest, as I understand, and of course, if you want to also check to, before you weigh in with us at 204-780-6868, if you want to go to cjob.com uh, or, or global, uh, you'll be able to read the whole story there as well, some of the numbers and that sort of thing. Because sometimes if you're driving along or you're doing something else, it's hard to keep up the the pace. But basically, there are 12 jobs that are being deleted from Misericordia and another 250 each from Victoria and the Grace. So that's a total of 512 names that are going to go into the pool then those nurses will reapply for the positions that will be available at the other facilities. And, of course, this is all to do with the closure, the conversion, or uh, the, uh, the, the, the creation, I guess, yeah. of, of the new facilities within the WRHA. So and and I was speaking. I think, did, did I kind of hit the that's really the, that's of that? re, that's really the gist of it? Yeah, and yeah. I was speaking with our global news reporter Krishna O'Mel, and he was telling us uh, that in terms of actual job losses, or any is anyone getting laid off? That's actually still unclear at this point. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's where I say, if I was a member of yeah. the Manitoba Nurses Union, my head would be spinning a little bit, and also. Why it would be spinning is because this is only phase one. Right, exactly. And, and how many, and the government has been in power for, I mean, less than two years we're talking, and it, it's, it seems as if these changes are rolling out really quickly. Now, the unions, of course, we're still waiting to hear from the Manitoba Nurses uh, Union and right. members for comment, but the unions have consistently <laughs> said... I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> oh, they'll have Tristan. something to say. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm not uh, sure that they'll be doing cartwheels and advocating all of this either so well and and we've heard from the unions constantly over the last sure. few months that these changes are too fast there's too much going on yeah. we need to slow down and um you know on the flip side though whenever we've asked members of the public whenever we asked our listeners the reaction to these healthcare changes has generally been positive now of course that may not be representative of the entire uh population of manitoba yeah. but my question to the audience today is you hear these changes day in and day out. You hear that the conservative, progressive conservative government is, it, it's an overhaul. Really, there's no other way to describe it. It's an overhaul to the transformation of our healthcare system. Yeah. And I want to hear from you. Text or call us. And especially if you're a nurse, 204-780-6868. Let us know. Or do you agree with the unions? Well, and, and part of, of maybe, and I don't want to call it the reluctance, but the hesitancy mm-hmm. of whether it's a nurse or whether it's the nurse's union to weigh in is because they are still trying to fully digest this yeah. themselves. 
you know, before they do make a comment. So I, I understand that. And, and, and again, where this becomes a little bit of a, a head spinner, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, I'm just saying that in, in terms of the volume of change that is taking place, what was announced today is only phase one. Then there's going to be a second phase that involves Concordia and Seven Oaks. Uh, and, and so how much of this are we going to be doing again? You know, will more names be put into a pool to have to reapply? I mean, think of it this way, Tristan. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've worked at this radio station for three or four years or however long it's been. You have your habits, you have your friends, you have yep. your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. Now, all of a sudden, you're told, well, you're going to have to reapply for any one of the 12 radio stations that still exist in Winnipeg. Well, you know, when we're through the process, we'll let you know where you're going to be working. Yeah, that would that would yeah. not be. I mean, just from a practical perspective, I'd think. Well, and do I don't I need think to... I'm exaggerating by describing no, this. No, not at all. Uh, I'd have to think. Uh, am I? Where am I going to end up? Am I going to have to change the time I get up? Am I going to have to change my commuting habits? I mean, there would be a lot of just small practical things to consider. Um, do I think the unions may have a point in terms of this is too much, too fast? But on the flip side, yeah. though. Can anyone out there defend the previous system? Yeah. Was the previous system working? No pain, no gain is the uh, is the common used phrase. Uh, and so I would suggest to you that if you want to exact change, probably uh, to do it in the manner that it's being done, if you want results, mm-hmm. would be, I think, the best way to do it. I, I don't know that you can go about this on a piecemeal process. I really don't. We have uh, people calling in and texting us already here. Let's sure. get to the phone lines. 780-6868 if you want to call or text us. Uh, we always like it when you call and we like talking to people. Yeah. This is Daryl on the line. Hi, Daryl. What do you have to say about these changes? Well, I went to the walk-in for the first time in a long time. Actually, I'm sorry, uh, Victoria uh, Emergency. Uh, probably since I was born in this uh, very hospital, I was there from 9.30. My son actually uh, was there. He got hurt at Home Depot, and we had a bunch of papers he had to fill out. Uh, so we waited till 6.30 in the morning when we finally left. Now, that's a, that was quite a long time. That was only about five days ago. So, And there seemed to be quite a few people working there, except there was only one doctor, I believe, on, on call. So, so Daryl... Go ahead. Yeah, so Daryl, you would say when it comes to the changes, you haven't really seen anything yet? No, I'm just thinking that I've heard of these long waits and things. I've never experienced it for myself. But when I sit in a room with 20 people from 9.30 to 6.30 in the morning, then, um, yeah, changes must happen probably because it didn't work for me a week ago, and I guess changes are coming. So we'll see in the future, I guess, how it works out what I'm saying. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So, yeah, what, what Daryl's saying is the existing, because we haven't made the full changes yet, so yeah. what's happening right now? 9.30 to 6.30 is a long haul. Uh, we'll get to yeah. some... <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Yeah, we'll get to some text messages here now while Tristan lines up another call. Don says... These health care changes will blow up in the government's face just like it did in Thunder Bay. Fewer health care workers trying to provide a level of service better than they can now. Doesn't take Einstein to figure out this is not going to work. Okay, so fine, but then we still need a solution. Right. Okay, so uh, I would I would suggest that... Uh, <laughs> Let's see how these changes work, and if there is at least slight improvement, but more changes needed, so be it. But let's at least see 
if this works the way that uh, the experts and the people who've invested a ton of time into putting this together uh, to see if this works out for them. Getting a couple other texts here, Kelly. And again, our lines are open 204-780-6868. Diana was asking us, uh, would like to know about uh, ICU uh, beds, intensive care units. Are they closing at uh, Victoria, Concordia, and Seven Oaks? Uh, honestly, Diana, off the top of my head, I do not know the answer to that question. Again, there have been so many changes that we're not sure. And frankly, like today's story, Kelly, yeah. we asked, one of the big things people are asking, will there be jobs lost? And the answer is we're not sure yet. So I don't know. Stay tuned when it comes to that. And maybe that's an element of this conversation too. Is the government doing enough to communicate right. these all, changes. Yeah, all we know, all we've been made aware of with respect to Seven Oaks uh, and Concordia is the conversion of the ER uh, to an urgent care facility. So I don't know if a decision has been made on the ICU beds. And if it has, it has not been made public uh, yet. So I'd, it would be folly, I think, to, to you know, try to give a yes or no to that question, but it's something I've written down and we'll certainly yeah. follow up on. Yeah. We have, I think we'll take one call and then uh, sure. go to a break here. Jason, you're on with Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore. Uh, what are your thoughts on all these changes taking place in the healthcare system? Well, my wife is a, a nurse in an ICU actually at uh, HSC. Okay. Um, so I hear some of the banter back and forth from uh, from what they're talking about. And the the consensus so far from what I hear is that these changes aren't really going to help what they want. Um, it doesn't reduce on costs. Um, strictly from the standpoint, if you're still paying the nurses, you're, you're not able to lay off anyone on a contract or, or uh, under the union. So these costs for the nurses aren't going anywhere. So, uh, Jason, what is the, you mentioned your wife is a nurse. What is the sentiment uh, uh, at HSC. Now, they're not one of the hospitals mentioned in here, but I can imagine throughout the healthcare field, there must be a lot of people who are either concerned about their jobs or, like Kelly was saying, their heads might be spinning. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and one of the biggest things, the training aspect, uh, as an ICU nurse, you go through an immense amount of training that the average nurse doesn't. Now, you take somebody out of that position and you try to put in somebody at a lower cost, for example, and it just doesn't compute. You're, you're not able to do that. Um, so all of these nurses, they think that they're going to be, you know, potentially um, replaced or they're going to lose their, their EFT, um, you know, for lower cost staffing. And it, it, it just doesn't equate to the same quality care for the patient. Okay. All righty. Jason, thank you very much. Yep, there's somebody who is connected to somebody on the front line. So. Uh, let's take a quick break here, Kelly. Sherry, you're on the line. We'll get to you right after this. And we also have some more texts coming in regarding this. 204-780-6868. Your thoughts on the changes to our health care system. And uh, if, you think we, if you think the old system worked, let us know why. And especially if you are involved directly, especially uh, we do want to hear from you. I, I like the idea that Jason took the initiative to call us because yes. his wife is uh, employed by HSC. So uh, more of those kind of frontline experience kind call kind of calls, uh, we would really love to encourage. All right, 204-780-6868. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore filling in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Your weather is next.
Mackling and McGarry are both away today. Brett McGarry returning with you tomorrow. Instead, you have Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore. And we're discussing the changes to the health care system, getting some more news regarding this. day two. <laughs> yeah, day two, if you will. This week. Of phase one, believe it or not. Phase one, we've seen many changes to our health care system. The news coming out today. Uh, nurses uh, are learning how their jobs could be impacted by uh, changes and moves at the WRHA. Uh, and again, we have the full story up at cjob.com. But basically, want to ask you, at 204-780-6868. What do you think of all these changes? What needs to be done to change our healthcare system? And especially if you know someone or you yourself work in healthcare, give us a shout. We'd love to get your thoughts on this. We have Sherry on the line here. Hi, Sherry. Uh, what do you think about all these changes? Well, uh, you know, I think what the government is saying it will deliver, it simply won't. Um, and I think time will bear that out. Uh, You know, we talk about having a public system, but really we don't. Uh, Doctors run businesses, they bill fee-for-service. Historically, when Medicare was brought in, the government wanted uh, all doctors put on salary, and doctors fought that. Right now, we're in a situation where the public wants uh, one payer, uh, biggest... um, bankruptcy cause in the states is medical costs so there's good reason that we would want it public Um, but we vote in governments that uh, don't ensure that for example the conservatives i think would like it to be run by business and they're slowly chip away at it to ensure that that will happen the ndp mismanage it they know costs are, run, are running away and uh, unaffordable. Um, I don't know how the public can win in this. All right. Sherry, thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> That's a, uh, okay. kind of a bleak picture, but, uh, but somewhat realistic. There, there might be some people no. who agree with that, too. Kelly, no. we are getting a bunch of texts here in the meantime. Yeah, we are. Adam says, I went to the Ms. Urgent Care last Tuesday, arrived at 2.30, waited, Saw a doctor, had x-rays, treatment, and was home at 5.10. So that part of the health uh, situation worked fine for Adam. Yeah, he says health care works yeah. when health issues are legit. We have someone yeah. else here texting and saying unions are crying over government making changes too fast. Someone clearly not in, in agreeing with the unions there. Getting a couple other uh, texts here too, Kelly. These changes by design will undermine the public system. This will open the door for more private clinics, such as uh, as the quick care clinics close. This will result in more health care professionals leaving the province. The Conservative government is doing exactly what the Philman government was doing when they were defeated in 1999. Health and education funding cuts uh, that are not necessary. Interesting comparison there. Uh, and speaking of head spinning, here's someone who writes, I don't even understand the new terms, i.e. urgent care facility versus emergency facility. Well, it's actually emergency room. It's not emergency facility. That uh, right. uh, So what is the differentiation? What constitutes urgent? Isn't that the same as emergency? Uh, it is in my mind. Basically, what they're trying to do is they're trying to consolidate the uh, the emergency room situation, so they don't have them spread out all over the city, so that they have them in in defined areas mm-hmm. that they feel will serve the community the best. At least that's how I understand it, anyway. Right, but you know what? I think that does touch on a bigger issue, Kelly, of yeah. communication. Is the government doing a good enough job communicating these changes to people? And based on what I'm seeing here, then uh, yeah, from from the person who wrote that, though, then yeah. the, I would say, you know what, it's incumbent upon you if you don't understand it. Sure, you know there is lots of information out there to to better 
educate yourself on that. We have Don on the line here. Hi, Don. What do you think about these changes to the healthcare system? I think they should have left them the way they were. They should have made four in four different parts of the city, four different sections of the city, all night, 24-hour walking clinics. The nurses at the hospital, which are triage nurses, should have been able to say, yours is not serious enough, it's not life-threatening, go to the walk-in. Hmm. Interesting. They have 24-hour walk-ins. Yeah. Okay, so Don, you were... That would, that would relieve the people that are sitting for hours waiting for something very trivial. Okay. So, Don, you are not in favor of the way the government is doing these changes? Not at all. It's ridiculous. I live out of the city, and I have had, and I work in the city, but I have had to go to the hospital for something that I thought we thought was a heart attack because I had chest pains. I sat for four hours at Grace Hospital, and they knew that I had chest pains. I sat for four hours. Yeah. All right. It's actually ridiculous. That's what I said. The people that have the trivial little things like a sniffle or whatever, they and I've seen them there with sniffles going to the emergency. The triage nurses, because the nurses are great nurses. They can only do so much because half of the time their hands are tied. Right. Don, what did your uh, issue turn out to be, if you don't mind me asking? Gallbladder. Okay. And so once it was diagnosed and treated, were you pretty happy with the way that went? Well, actually, what it was is my doctor out in the country treated, diagnosed me two years ago with acid reflux. I was treated and given medications for acid reflux until I diagnosed myself, went and asked for an ultrasound, then was told that I had gallstones. So two years, my doctor told me it was acid reflux, giving me wrong medication, which could have harmed me. All right. Don, thanks for calling in. Appreciate the, the feedback there. And I think, Kelly, we'll sneak in Peter here real quick. Peter, I can give you 30 seconds. You'll have the last word on this. Okay. Uh, the only thing i got to say about all this is, is, is if people would just listen to what is being reported and, and what everybody is seeing, the rhetoric is just clouding everybody's mind. Nobody has talked about job losses. The government said these the nurses can reapply for positions that are going to be put in to where they're qualified. Nobody said anybody's getting fired. It's just the, the rhetoric going back and forth is just clouding everybody's mind. And, and the, the thing is, everything about this was decided by professionals, not by the government, by people who understand the systems. Like, I just don't understand why people can't listen to it. Let's see what happens. Like Kelly keeps saying, just what, see what happens. If there's problems, then let's fix them then, because the status quo just is not working. Right. The, the only point I was making, uh, sir, was uh, just the fact that if you are a nurse and you are working in the system, there is you might not lose your job, but I think you are going to be placed elsewhere. And, and like any other human being, when your life is disrupted from the norm, that is disconcerting. Well, I, I agree. I, I totally agree. But, but what I also have to say is, if the unions had the answer, and they and they keep saying that they had the answer, they're never consulted. That they they had all the answers, we would never be in this position. Right. If, um, if, if they had the answer for all these years. All right, Peter. That, that's the other. That's the other part of it. I just don't understand. All right, Peter. Really appreciate the call. Yeah. Thank you very much, sir. Um, again, you can keep texting us seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. We're getting some more feedback on this. And again, these healthcare changes are far from over. Uh, we're going to take a break here. We have global news at one thirty, and then talk about more change because it's exactly. coming with the NAFTA agreement. All right, Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore in for Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling. News is up next. Tristan Field Jones and Kelly Moore with you.
Uh, Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry are away. Brett McGarry will be returning tomorrow. Greg Mackling away on some extended holiday. And um, Kelly, we're going to chat a little bit about the renegotiations surrounding the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. And <laughs> yeah, uh, free trade seems to be a bit of mi- of a misnomer. Yeah. So um, what happens is, uh, okay, I I know that we we talk NAFTA and we talk deals and negotiation, and it's you know goodbye everybody. Yeah. But stick around though, because this has an effect th- in your backyard. This absolutely does. And to explain a little bit more about this, I've invited Chuck Davidson. Uh, President and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce to join us because NAFTA is is a huge deal for this province and it affects you directly because we are a big exporter. It's billions upon billions yeah. of dollars we export every year. Uh, so Chuck, to start off, um, true or false, talking about NAFTA is the easiest way to clear a room. Absolutely. It's, I'm sure our listeners are turning off their dials right now. And, <laughs> no, uh, they actually, NAFTA had nothing to do with it. Chuck it may Davidson. be because I'm on the air as well, I'm sure, too. So. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, Chuck, uh, let, let's start with the very basics. Why should we care about these NAFTA renegotiations? Well, why we should care about them is because exactly what you talked about earlier is the amount of, of dollars that go back and forth between Canada and the U.S. Between Canada and the U.S., the trade, it, it, it's in the neighborhood of $627 billion annually. Think about that for a minute. And, and, and you know, we, we're talking about exporting close to $320 billion between Canada and the U.S. This is our biggest trading partner, and it's not even close in terms of who's second. So whenever there's sort of discussions in terms of what are we looking to do to renegotiate uh, what this relationship looks like, and I think one of the things that has to be taken into consideration is this isn't something that Canada had been asking for. This is something that obviously the, the new U.S. president had yeah. been saying that there needs to be a, a, a renegotiation of the NAFTA agreement. And because because of what they were looking at is this really this trade imbalance. Well, that trade imbalance doesn't really occur with Canada. It's more so with Mexico. But what Canada has, but the fact that we're part of that NAFTA agreement is we're being drawn into this. And so for Manitoba, if you're looking at a Manitoba perspective, uh, the, the trade balance between Manitoba and the U.S., it's, it's over $9.5 billion on an annual basis of companies in Manitoba are exporting goods south of the border. So this is why it's important to Manitobans, because all of those businesses and those companies that you're working for or that, you're, that your spouse may be working for traditionally is going to have some sort of a relationship with a U.S. company as well and do business with the U.S. By comparison, Chuck, uh, how would that number be with uh, respect to our trading with Mexico? Well, when you look at Mexico, and I'm looking at the, the 2015 numbers that Manitoba Trade puts out, and the dollars that we trade between the Manitoba market goes to the U.S. is $9.5 billion. In comparison, Mexico is only, is only fourth at about $340 million. So we're, we're talking a significant difference between the two in terms of about the level of importance. $9 billion yearly to the United States. That's why you need to care about this. Absolutely, and this is what, and this is why it's important in terms of what these discussions are going to look at. And you know, one of the things that we're concerned about is what kind of a trade imbalance there might be, and what sort of you know the big concern we're always looking at is this this mentality that there appears to be that we've heard the rhetoric coming out of the U.S. about this Buy America policy and what that's going to mean. Is it going to mean uh, that policies in terms of of, of less trade with Canada? Um, you know, I think the reality is that's not going to happen because just as much as as as, as the U.S. is important to Canada. Canada is important to the U.S. as well. We're one of their biggest trading partners as well, so they need that relationship. And in fact, that's what businesses have been telling us uh, uh, over the course of the last over the course of the last year is that you know we want to make sure that we've got these strong relationships because a lot of U.S. businesses 
these these relationships are just as important to them as they are to us. Okay, Chuck, yesterday our Foreign Affairs Minister, uh, Freeland, uh, trotted out a list of the the key demands from Canada. So how we're going to do this is we're going to we're going to do it going to do it like the uh, so you want to be a millionaire you can yeah. either give an explanation <laughs> of how this connects to uh, Manitoba or you can take a pass or you can phone a friend okay sure okay. I, I, I could be phoning a friend on a couple of these sure a new chapter on labor standards. Well, I think when you're looking at labor standards, and what we're really talking about is having uh, consistency between uh, the jurisdictions. And, you know, one of the challenges that we hear nowadays from a lot of businesses is the, is the mobility of, 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 of really employees between Canada and the U.S. And I've heard this on a number of occasions where some companies that will have uh, an employee base in the U.S. and an employee base in Canada have trouble getting those employees uh, access to come across the border. So there are some things that we could be helped be resolved to make sure that we've got that increased mobility of specifically in regards to some of those labor issues. Well, so the federal government was also looking to uh, f- or looking for a new chapter on environmental standards. Well, and this one's important specifically with the direction that the federal government has gone. When you're looking at uh, putting a price on carbon, which is something that is, is, a, is a hot topic here in Manitoba, um, but it, for, for most businesses are looking at this as the way that uh, things need to go to deal with climate change issues. Um, it's, it's important, and the challenge that we're seeing uh, south of the border is they seem to be going in the other direction. And so what we would obviously like to see is that there be some consistency in those regards as well, because the challenge that we... That from a business standpoint is, are we going to put ourselves at an uncompetitive disadvantage with our uh, our business compatriots uh, south of the border if we're not playing by the same set of rules? Okay, I'm going to go a little bit out of order uh, for how this appeared in the story, Chuck, but uh, because I just received a text. Uh, guys, we are getting completely hammered on the cost of our dairy and cheese. Hopefully the U.S. gets to sell their dairy and cheese here in Canada instead of us being forced to overpay to the Canadian dairy. So uh, protect Canada's supply management system for dairy and poultry. This is a real touchy one, obviously, uh, and it's one in terms of making sure that, uh, you know, and it's, it's not just as much uh, them getting access to us, it's us getting access to them. So these, there, there are certain areas where there is going to be negotiations. This is going to be one of them. There's no question in regards to supply management for both dairy and poultry, ones that we would want to cons- you know, make sure that we're protecting uh, uh, some of the Canadian interests in, in these regards. And Manitoba interests uh, as well. Uh, absolutely, and Manitoba yeah. interests. Cause, because when you look in terms of what we specifically export uh, south of the border, things like agricultural products, processed foods, metals and minerals, uh, we're looking at those food, food products as well. And a lot of advanced manufacturing are a lot of these key pieces that, that Manitoba companies are, are exporting south of the border. I know we could go through the through the whole list here, Chuck, but I think uh, just to uh, to not get too deep into the weeds right, here, I'll yeah. ask one last thing. But this is uh, this could be important for people, especially uh, along border towns, people who may work in the U.S., live in Canada, or vice versa. Uh, freer movement of professionals. What do they mean by that? Well, this is exactly what I was talking about before. It's it's yeah. it's it's really those. You know, we've got companies that that will have multiple locations. Uh, some in Canada, they could be headquartered here. They could have offices uh, throughout the U.S. And a lot of the times, what I've been hearing is there's a real challenge in terms of. Well, if you need to bring an employee up from the U.S. or even have an employee go on from your Canada office to the U.S. for a two-week time frame, what's happening a lot of times is they're not getting up the, the ability to have that visa and that access to move back and forth. Uh, and, and that does prove to be a challenge for some businesses. So looking at ways that we can t- 
allow for a freer movement to professionals is going to be something that you know we would hope will be part of the discussions as well to make it to make it easier and you know anything to do with you know cross border is is, is going to be uh, is, is going to be good for Canada and the U.S. in this regard. Well, let's face it, there is going to be some table thumping. There might even be some loud and nasty words exchanged uh, during these negotiations because that's what they are. So, Chuck, what being someone who is directly connected to this, living in the moment, what is your level of confidence in the Canadian negotiator, negotiation team rather, headed up by Christia Freeland, our foreign affairs minister? What's your level of confidence? Well, we've got a lot of level of confidence in terms of in terms of the direction that they're going in, and they've done a good job in terms of reaching out to the business community. We've had meetings. Um, uh, with trade negotiators in regards to some of the concerns from a from a business standpoint that we want to see, uh, and recognizing as well that you know you, you need to make sure that uh, we can continue to build this strong relationship with the U.S. Uh, you know the the reality is, and, and and this is the thing that you know the the chamber's done a good job, and the Canadian Chamber and and we've been meeting with our stakeholders. I've had meetings with the CEO of the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I know uh, Perrin Beatty, the, the CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, is meeting with uh, his counterpart in the U.S. on a regular basis, they see this relationship just as important as we do. Uh, and that the important part here is really getting away from the political rhetoric that you hear and understanding uh, the importance of this relationship. And, and businesses in the U.S., uh, they recognize that as well. So we're just as important to them as they are to us. What we want to make sure is that we can continue to, uh, you know, and it, you know it, the fact that the NAFTA agreement's been in place for 23 years, is there an opportunity to modernize it to a certain extent? There probably is because there are certain issues that that didn't exist when it was when it was really put into place. Things like e-commerce and mm. you know adjusting some regulations and regulatory affairs. There are some things that can be looked at that could actually help to strengthen this uh, the NAFTA agreement. Uh, but what we what we don't want to see is we don't want to see uh, anything that's going to take away from this. So so let's build on what's there. That's kind of the message that we've given the the, the federal minister on this, uh, and make sure that Canadian interests are going to be protected in these negotiations. Chuck, you're in constant contact with members of the business business community uh, and people who I'm sure are exporters and contribute a lot to the Manitoba economy. What are you hearing from people on the ground level? Is Are these NAFTA renegotiations, are they following this super closely or is this something they're not really worried about? No, this is something that's important. Um, and it is important because you know, of the importance of that relationship. So people are looking at it closely, wanting to make sure that the, the interests of Canadian businesses are going to be protected uh, and that we're going to continue to have that strong relationship with the U.S. So, uh, the, you know, the, the challenge is there's always this level of nervousness when there's a certain sense of rhetoric that's been coming from the U.S. Uh, that makes it seem like we're going to shut the borders and uh, we want to make sure that only things that are going to benefit the U.S. are part of this uh, and that it's not really a a, a really a relationship building exercise. So that's where the, the challenge comes in. The hope is that when they sit down at the table and actually negotiate and re- actually recognize the importance of this relationship, uh, that cooler heads will prevail and that we can grab a, a good deal for both sides. Just before we let you go here, Chuck Davidson, President and CEO of the Manitoba Chamber of Commerce, uh, uh, you mentioned $9.5 billion of exports annually from Manitoba to the United States. What would be the top one, two, or say maybe even three items uh, just to give people an idea of what we're talking about here, Chuck, uh, that we would ex- that Manitoba would directly export to the United States. Well, when you look at those, you're looking at agricultural products. You're looking at uh, farm machinery is a big one. Uh, you're looking at processed foods. Obviously, that 
that's a big one for, for Manitoba as well. Uh, anything to do with advanced manufacturing, bus manufacturing, aerospace, these are some key sectors for Manitoba that we do, uh, will go, we will export to the U.S. Uh, so these are important ones, metals, the mineral sectors as well. So there's a, there's a wide range of, of sectors that, that would be impacted by this and that continually see that relationship with the U.S. But just as importantly uh, is we're importing those as well. So we import close to $16 billion from the U.S. So if, if anyone wants to say there's a bit of a trade imbalance, we might be saying it here in Manitoba. Alrighty, Chuck Davidson, Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, thank you very much for your time. I want you at the negotiating table. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bang that table hard, Kelly. I know you do. <laughs> uh, Chuck, thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll be in touch uh, as these negotiations uh, take place. I'm sure we'll be in touch in the future because this is a big issue. And again, the takeaway from this, if you think this is all just policy wonk stuff, $9.5 billion, that's the number you need to remember. Yeah, Gary just uh, weighed in via text at 204-780-6868. Been in the trans-border biz for 38 years, fellas. NAFTA, not the problem. The Walmarts and all the imports from China would be the issue. Check with the New York Stock Exchange to see how many companies call themselves USA-based, but most of their goods are now made in China. We've so, been getting a few texts regarding yeah. NAFTA. And again, yeah. if you have anything to comment, you can send us a text, 204-780-6868. Hopefully that conversation did clear up a few things yep. for you. Oh, yeah. it helped me out for sure, because like I said, one, it, probably one of the top 10 ways to clear a room. Let's talk about NAFTA. Hey, where is everybody? Okay, well, we're going to bring everybody back into the room, <laughs> Tristan we have Jones. <laughs> we have something to give away in our next segment. In our next segment. That's all we're going to tell you. So get on back into the room. If you left. Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Your weather's next. I want to sing, but I only do that in my car. <laughs> Thank goodness. With the windows rolled up, I why, hope. why are we playing Guns N' Roses, Kelly? We are playing Guns N' Roses because on August the 24th at the aforementioned Investors Group Field, Guns N' Roses will be playing. And I think, uh, who else is coming with them? Do you remember? Uh, we have, hang on, let me just grab yeah, the you have the uh, We have thing. Our Lady Peace as well. Our Lady Peace, that's right. So we now have two tickets to give away. Yesterday, we did tough trivia on guns. Today, we are going to do semi-tough trivia on roses. Kelly came up with a great question for this. So, Kelly, yeah. what so, do listeners have to get correct? Sure. And so the idea, do, uh, have you busied off the phone? Uh, well, people are already calling in here. So. Oh, they are? Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's busy them up right oh, now. Okay. So, so you have to start again. Mm, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and we're not going to unbusy them until we have finished asking the question. So you're, you're going to be starting off like everybody else. Okay. Name any one of the four U.S. states whose official flower is is the rose. You don't have to name all four of them if you just name one of the four. So there are four United States states where the official flower is the rose. Give our call to our rose, Savannah Pierce, at 204-780-6868. Don't text. We're not taking texts. You have to call 204-780-6868 with the first correct answer, winning those tickets to see Guns N' Roses and our Lady Peace August 24th. All right. Good luck with that. And again, yes. we accept correct answers only. So, um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and I have to say, Kelly, well done. Kelly was really creative with this trivia about guns yesterday, trivia about roses today. Hopefully when uh, 
Brett uh, takes over tomorrow, myself and him can come up with something. I, I love the questions that McGarry comes up with, especially with some of the old albums and that type of thing. I oh, yeah. Get, get a hoot out of that. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, we've been, while we have a few minutes here, we've been getting some really <laughs> insightful feedback regarding the changes taking place. Uh, at the WRHA and with the nurses finding out um, what's happening with their jobs here. Uh, let me see. Here we go. The first text we received a few minutes ago, and again, some people have been texting us requesting right. that we not share their name or mention yes, anything about we it. we will certainly no, respect you're, that. Uh, yeah, it's, this is going to be anonymous, so you have nothing to yeah. worry about there. So uh, one of them here says, you may not receive feedback on air from many nurses except those who would be near retirement. We have been advised by our union not to speak to media. As a nurse whose position has been deleted, it has been a shock and has given us a sense of low value. I can't tell you what department I'm from, but the lack of communication that has come to us from managers after initial initially meeting has been horrible. We were told in the meeting we were deleted. We would know by August what our options were and everything would be finalized by November. We have received no email of our, dele- of our deletions. Any further information since then has been given to us under duress after we have gone to our managers stressed as to what our future holds. We are then given a few more tidbits of information to try to help us decide which positions we will bump into. We have not received any information or support from our union. It's like we are peons in the system. I believe change is needed. 83 million deficits reduction in one year seems extreme to hit healthcare and the nurses. Well, is extreme as well. No name attached to that, but that is from a nurse whose position has been deleted. And we very, very much appreciate uh, the feedback, giving us some insight into that. Uh, We appreciate uh, that feedback. So again, if you want your name hidden, no worries. We will be happy to read it without identifying who you are. Right. Here's a, another quick text here just before we break for top of the hour news and to identify our winner uh, for those Guns and Roses tickets. Uh, please withhold my name. Absolutely, unequivocally, we will do just that. I caught a bit of your program, but as a nurse in the hospital setting of the WRHA, The environment with which I work has been turned upside down. I have felt that for approximately the last five years of my career, patient care has suffered, more expected of healthcare workers with less help. Can't imagine how frustrating that would be. Mm -hmm. Our patient load has increased, and with more paperwork, the time I and my colleagues have for patient care has diminished. Add to this mix that people are living longer with many health needs and when admitted to the hospital have a lot more medical and social issues on board. Uh, Just trying to get the rest of this message she ran out of uh, of time. This complicates the care that is needed. uh, I now go to work fearing for my patient's safety and my license. Also with the further coming changes, by the way, our union doesn't know any more than the nurses. The public should be very aware and very afraid that if they or a loved one ends up in a hospital without an emergency room or ICU and something happens where the patient takes a turn for the worse, i.e. needs resuscitation or in-depth medical interventions, uh, lots of important seconds, minutes will be wasted transporting their loved one to an ER if indeed they make it. We are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And I can't tell you how much... And I, and I think I can say this on behalf of our listeners, how much I appreciate the two of you uh, offering us your frontline experience and your frontline mindset, because no one knows 
unless they have walked in those nurses' shoes. Absolutely. Uh, we will announce our winner after the break here. Uh, global news coming up. and uh, But I wanted to do it before the break. No, sorry, okay. Kelly. Okay, I'm gonna well, find them. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's going to have a bit of a... Kelly's going to be grumpy mm. for the next little while. Sure. Hey, for the next hour, we're going to have some fantastic discussion how do we put Winnipeg on the world stage? Yeah, no, and it's perfect timing for this, Tristan, because we're just coming off an incredibly successful mm-hmm. Canada Summer Games. So continuing that momentum, that was on the national stage. How do we do it uh, internationally? I think it's going to be great discussion. All right, Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Mackling and McGarry, except with Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore filling in uh, on this Lovely but slightly hazy Tuesday afternoon, Kelly. Oh, it's it's comfortable out there. Certainly a nice uh, August summer day. Uh, just before we broke for the top of the hour news, we had our giveaway of uh, the Guns N' Roses tickets for August the 24th at Investors Group Field, Guns N' Roses, along with Our Lady Peace. And today was a tough trivia question centered around roses. We wanted to know if you knew... Any one of the four U.S. states whose official flower is the rose. And Savannah Pierce was telling us a lot of guesses, Texas, a lot of guesses, you know, yellow rose of Texas. Uh, California was another one of the guesses. California because of the Rose Bowl, yeah. Yeah, But uh, the, the official flower is for New York, Iowa, Georgia, or where J.C. Duvall correctly guessed, North Dakota. So there you go. So congratulations. JC, congratulations. You are going to go see Guns and Roses and Our Lady Peace, courtesy of 680 CJOB. And uh, we'll have more giveaways tomorrow and throughout the rest of the week. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Kelly, um, Canada Summer Games wrapped up over the weekend. Absolutely fabulous. We had plenty of events, plenty of buzz happening in Winnipeg. And as if. Yeah, and if we get a chance later on this afternoon, yes. I, I want to go over some of the legacy items and equipment uh, that are being donated to Manitoba athletes. Certainly. Uh, through uh, liquors and lottery, uh, liquor and lotteries rather, uh, through the the Canada Summer Games. So it, there's going to be a na- nice little spinoff there too. Absolutely. And we certainly hope with our next guest, we are going to see uh, an even bigger impact. Well, we have uh, Joseph Ranseth. He's, uh, I think, first of all, Joseph, to describe you, advocate for Winnipeg. I'll own that. Thank you. I'm honored. (laughs) We've had uh, Joseph Ratzel has has been on the air with us before. Uh, Charles Adler referred to him as Mr. Positive when we had him on with the Adler show before. Uh, But he's really here because he's the chair of an upcoming event referred to as TEDx Exchange District. And uh, we'll get Joseph to explain what this is. And we'll also get some of your feedback, too, at 204-780-6868, because anytime we can discuss Winnipeg with the audience, always a great time. Uh, But TEDx Exchange... Very simply, we're looking to discuss how do we put Winnipeg on the world stage? How do we elevate the quality of life for Winnipeggers and change the public dialogue? Now, Joseph, without stealing too much of your thunder, I'll get you to explain what's the, what, what, is, what is the purpose of this event? What are we trying to accomplish here? Well, you know, a lot of people in the community are familiar with TEDx and, and TED events in general. And the, the TEDx Exchange District was uh, started with a mandate, uh, you know, that came out of an inquiry. Instead of saying, how do we put on a really great event, uh, as many people are familiar, there are TEDx events in the city, and, and, and they're fantastic. When uh, We sat down, and instead of saying, how do we put on a great event, we said, how do we elevate the quality of life for our entire community? And we've had a year and a half of planning, um, you know, doing uh, public surveys and polls and, and interviewing key stakeholders in the community and leaders. 
and uh, the the event and really the the movement or the mission behind TEDx Exchange District uh, came out of this vision to see three things happen. One, you know, how do we elevate the quality of life for everyone in the city? Because we believe that a, a community or a society can be judged by the quality of life of its not its most advantaged, but by its most marginalized. So how do we how do we raise that tide? You know, for everybody. Uh, second, how do we influence the public dialogue? Um, you know, this this event is not political by any means. But one thing that I have noticed is that when the election cycle comes around. Typically, the, the politicians and the candidates talk about the things that they think the public are interested in talking about, which is why I think, you know, for so many mayoral uh, elections, we've we've heard potholes, potholes, mm-hmm. potholes, potholes, <laughs> because what do people talk about? They talk about potholes, right? And if we can get people talking about issues that matter uh, at a much deeper level, I believe that we can start to change that public dialogue. And the other, the other half of that is, as well is... As someone who grew up in this community and then moved away and then recently moved back, this is a phenomenal city. Like it is an incredible, incredible city. And sometimes I think we're still a little stuck in the mindset that we have about our community that we say, well, you know, at least it's not Regina, you know, no. <laughs> yeah. or Thunder Bay. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? and, <laughs> and Winnipeg was at one point, you know, like the thriving city in the country. Yes. Right. And, you know, many decades later, um, I believe that we're seeing a resurgence toward that. It's time that we shape that public dialogue toward that. And then the third thing really is how do we put Winnipeg on the world stage in a new way? And I, I had a, a powerful experience uh, in Geneva that I, I briefly mentioned off here that really helped me realize that this city is incredible. And it's time that the rest of the world knows just how incredible it really is. And that's part of why we wanted to to launch this. Okay, talk a little bit more about that experience that that gave you that feeling about Winnipeg. I, uh, almost two years ago, I went to the TED Global event in Geneva. So, you know, the the best of the ideas were spreading, the best of the speakers, the most qualified people on the planet to talk about things that create change. And I was there with several hundred event organizers, all all to soak it all up from TED headquarters. And right away, you mentioned Geneva, and Winnipeggers are going, well, it was Geneva, no wonder why. But, you know, continue on. And, and I had this experience where I was sitting in an event, and there was a, a fellow TEDx event organizer from Milan, Italy, right? Um, and uh, when you think of, like, posh cities, you know, fashion mm-hmm. and all of that, it's Milan, Italy. And he was telling me that in his day job, he worked for the mayor's office. And in that city, there were two cities around the world that they looked for as models of growth and progress. And one of them was uh, Tokyo or it was, you know, some other Japanese city. And then the other, um, he looked at me and he said, is Winnipeg, Canada. But you've probably never heard of it. <laughs> and I said, I happen to know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Just one though, right? And, and, and I thought about that. And I thought, you know, if here's someone from a city that people around the globe look at as a reference point of, you know, culture, you know, and, uh, and posh, you know, all of these things. And they're looking here then the rest of the world should be looking here at the great things that we're doing in our community. Did he give you any context for that? Um, you know, he was looking at the resurgence of the community, of, you know, what takes a community and how do they grow and, and revitalize. And that is something that over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years that Winnipeg has done a stellar job of. And I think it's just that internal dialogue within our community that needs to catch up. 
to some of the incredible things, you know, with the Jets, you know, Shed, you know, different things that are sure. happening here, even, you know, with the catalyst of being named the most racist city in Canada, all of the things that have come out of that deserve to be celebrated and recognized, I believe. Uh, Joseph, we have a, um, hmm, what's a good way of putting this? Uh, a fair number of naysayers in this city, I think. We have a lot of people out there who might be listening to this saying, well, everything's garbage and everything's crap. And I have to be honest, I used to be one of those naysayers. Uh, I uh, may ten- tend to have more of, a, I think, a, a ground level, maybe more of a realistic perspective nowadays instead of just being everything sucks. How do we... Uh, convey that to people like i said self you know self-professed former naysayer here how do we get more people on board of saying getting past the well everything sucks stage well you know i think it's important to recognize that the naysayers uh serve a beautiful purpose you know they help illustrate contrast they help us see the opportunities for growth and progress uh so instead of saying like let's just muffle them all let's say the people that have the courage to speak up and say this is what's wrong in a community ought to be celebrated. Now, there's a time to say, let's stop swimming in it and do something (laughs) about it. Um, But, you know, when you look at, again, identified as most racist city in Canada, beautiful, like a beautiful opportunity for us to stop and say, yeah, okay, so now what? And that's where we want to help, you know, um, catalyze people in the community to say, here are some issues that really matter that will elevate the quality of life on some of those things that you know, the naysayers would point out that here's some of the things that need attention and give them a vehicle to do that, to take action, you know, to put some of those ideas we're spreading, um, not just into discussion, um, but into practice within the community so that we can, you know, pat the naysayers on the back and say, thank you for helping us see the opportunity for growth. We're going to run with it. Yeah, because the natural inclination is that you say something mean, so I'm going to react negatively. And when you react in a positive fashion, all of a sudden you change the mindset of that. At least I would like to hope that you change the mindset of that naysayer. So not only are you improving yourself, but you are quite possibly improving the the life or the, at least the attitude of someone who might not have seen things that way. Well, you know, when you look at all of the great movements throughout history, Dr. King, Gandhi, yeah. uh, Mother Teresa, et cetera, it all came out of someone first noticing, hey, this is wrong. And and then someone saying, okay, I'll step up to help fix it. And and that is our, our opportunity in any community, but here specifically within Winnipeg, what a gift it is for us to say, wow, okay, what do we want to do to make this community better? And that is really the launching pad for us launching TEDx Exchange District is to get the dialogue going mm-hmm. so that people can take action and, uh, you know, evidence-based action too. You know, not just, you know, throwing around opinions and, and ideas, but, you know, what is the validated, you know, insight and research on some of these most pressing topics that will actually create positive change? Speaking of getting the dialogue going, let's get a little bit of that going right now. I would love to hear from our listeners at 204-780-6868. We will keep this conversation going. 204-780-6868. Call or text us. How would you put Winnipeg on the world stage? What would you do? Uh, And, you know, as Joseph said, there might be naysayers out there. Well, point out a problem to us, and let's see if we can find a solution. Let's see if we can discuss. I know, I know, that's I know. Gonna, that's going to really as open long up as the, the pressure's floodgates. not on me to find the solution. <laughs> Joseph has all the solutions yeah, right yeah. now. Maybe no. next year's roster is right. But I think, but let's get that dialogue started. How would you put Winnipeg on the world stage? You can text us or call us two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. 
Joseph, we clearly have a lot more to discuss, so we'll take a break. Uh, we'll have weather up next and more with Joseph Ranseth, advocate for Winnipeg, but chair of the upcoming TEDx Exchange District Talk. And again, those phone lines are open at 204-780-6868. It's not Mackling and McGarry. It's Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore, and we are joined by Joseph Ranseth, who's the chair of a TEDx Exchange district event that's taking place where we're going to discuss how do we elevate the lives of Winnipeggers, how do we put Winnipeg on the world stage, stage coming up in a, in a few months, but we're going to get the conversation going now. And Joseph has been an advocate uh, and an activist for Winnipeg for, for several years. And not surprisingly, uh, our text messages and the amount of feedback we're getting is already lighting up, and I think it's we should uh, have a discussion about what some people are saying here. Uh, Dean brings up a good point. The problem with Winnipeg isn't the city or most of the people in it. The problem is that no matter what issue comes up and action is needed to make a change, the level of pushback to stop such change is so vocal that it takes years to make the smallest alteration. That is from Dean. What do you think about that, Joseph? Well, you know, this makes me think of uh, typically when we look at how change happens, we fall into one of two camps, right? It happens from the bottom up, which is, you know, grassroots movement. How do we get the community involved and uh, and spread it out? Or it happens from the top down, which is, you know, we enact some policy or some change in the law and, and then it trickles down. When really, uh, you know, change happens at the intersection of both of those. It can start from either end. Um, but it needs to be both the change in the structure within the community. So maybe we we need to eliminate, you know, red tape or, you know, whatever that may be from a structural level. But it also has to happen in the minds and the hearts of the people. Um, and so it's finding that sweet spot. And that's where we think the public dialogue is so valuable. If you can get people talking about solutions instead of just problems, uh, then that will help catalyze both top and bottom approach uh, to creating change. Uh, so I think we, we need to focus on people who are courageous enough to identify the issues, but then also follow it up with what are the solutions and, and how do we dive into them. Jeff wants to know, uh, can you start by cleaning some of the garbage off the street so it doesn't look like a dump when people come here? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think of the the common quote that we actually mis, misattribute to, to Gandhi uh, mm-hmm. to, to go ahead and be the change that we want to see in the world. And I think, you know, as as a parent, one of the most valuable things that I have seen, um, you know, teaching my children is that when there's garbage in the park, for Bend example, over and pick it up yourself, pick it up and put it in the trash can. Yeah. yeah. Someone gave me a wise piece of advice one one time. They said, you know, it's too easy to say someone should do that. Mm-hmm. So be that someone, right? Yeah. You know, and, right. and that's something that stuck with me now for a number of years, and and. I try to advocate that. So if I'm walking across the parking lot here at Polo Park early in the morning and I see a piece of garbage swirling around, I bend down and pick it up. Yeah, we're, we're all someone. One piece at a time. Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, Kyle on the line here uh, at 204-780-6868. And again, feel free to text or call us with your ideas. How should we put Winnipeg on the world stage? And if you have any solutions to some of our problems, feel free to let us know. We have Joseph Ranseth joining us in studio. Kyle, how would you put Winnipeg on the world stage? You know, I've I've been thinking about this for a long time, actually, probably a couple of years, because I, I I try and take a lot of pride in in this city, and I, I defend it rigorous, rig, rigorously when when people, you know, say bad things about it. And I, I think you know we've had so many brilliant minds that have come from this city that have gone to places like Toronto or Vancouver for tech opportunities. So then I got thinking, what does some city like Austin, Texas, have? Not a whole lot. They don't have pro sports teams, but they have one major festival called South by Southwest. 
which is a huge tech festival. And I believe it also has some stuff to do with, with motion pictures and things like that too. Why not have something like that here? You could call it North by Northwest. It doesn't really matter what you call it, but have something like that where the entire country comes together in the center of the country for technology and something like that. I think that might be some sort of idea. Joseph, would something like that be feasible? I, Winnipeg, to be fair, and, and Kyle brings up a good point, Winnipeg really is becoming known as this kind of tech startup uh, place to be, if you will. So something like that, I, that could be feasible, couldn't we, it? You know, first off, Kyle, I like you already. Uh, you know, <laughs> so do I. This is great. But, uh, you know, I, I think with Innovation Alley, there's a lot of great things that are happening there, and, and I think it's it's happening. In terms of, you know, festivals, absolutely. You know, I, I think we've got a couple of great ones. There's There's always room for more. Uh, you know, you talked about technology and, and, you know, TED stands for technology entertainment design. And, you know, our, our goal with this upcoming event in October, TEDx Exchange District, it really is to hold a world-class event, you know, to help put Winnipeg on the map. Uh, it may not be at the magnitude of, you know, a South by Southwest, but it's a step forward. Uh, and so, you know, Kyle, I love that. I love that perspective. We absolutely do need to take that time to celebrate because there are so many world-class things happening right here in Winnipeg that we're not talking about, that, that aren't out in the public dialogue. Okay, I just received a, a great text here. Wanted to say that I used to hate Winnipeg. Then I moved to New York City for a year and found myself boasting about Winnipeg to friends. When I moved back home, I realized just how lucky we have it here. It's the perfect place to raise a child. The good and the bad about this city contributes to raising people with a logical and level-headed outlook. It would be like comparing a nice public school to an elite private one. Sure, the private school might offer better everything, but the public school gives you everything you need and, frankly, a more realistic view of the outside world. My one critique of this city is that we are a jack-of-all-trades and master of none in terms of industry. It keeps us from having the same crazy ups and downs economically, like what Calgary is going through with the oil industry, but it prevents us from truly standing out on a world stage. I wish Winnipeg would be the best place in the world for, fill in the blank, this field, rather than a place where you can work any kind of job, but you aren't all but you aren't, I don't know how they end of that. Uh, it it kind of gets messy, Bob. But up until that line, though, that is a, a tremendous mm -hmm. text uh, with a great message because I've moved back and forth from Winnipeg a couple of times. Uh, not a native Winnipegger, but absolutely love it here. And I get exactly what they mean when they say when they move away, that's when you start to really develop uh, your true feelings for Winnipeg. You know, I, I moved back to Winnipeg uh, six years ago, and as a professional speaker, I travel all of the time. I'm at lots of different events, and people ask, oh, where are you from? And I say, from the greatest city there is. And uh, for years, people would be like, well, where's that? And now, you know, just in the last year and a half, people are like, let me guess, Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what we'll do is uh, we'll take a break. We're getting lots of great feedback, lots of text, and we will keep them coming. 204. Don't be afraid to call. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 204 780 6868. How would you put Winnipeg on the world stage? Uh, what would you do to improve the, improve the city? Joseph Ranseth and will I think his, join us. His co chair is going to yes, join us. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Natalie yeah. Raymer Anderson will join us in the next half hour or two to discuss this TEDx exchange. And uh, we'll keep the conversation going. Uh, this is a great issue to talk about. Love getting your feedback again, 204 780 6868. News is up next with Kelly Moore and Tristan Field Jones on Mackling and McGarry. Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and 
Brett McGarry here on this Tuesday afternoon. We have Joseph Rancess joining us in studio, advocate for Winnipeg, proud Winnipegger, chair of TEDx Exchange District. We've been discussing that throughout uh, the last half hour. We'll continue to chat about that. Your texts and calls welcome at 204-780-6868. We also have the co-chair of the event, Natalie Raymer-Anderson, on the line. Natalie, we'll get to you in just a second, but first we have Jeff on the line here. And Jeff, uh, one of the things we've been discussing is putting Winnipeg on the world stage. How would you do that? Well, I, I thought of two things. One, definitely human rights. Because we have that great human rights museum. Uh, I find that Winnipeg is hugely uh, diverse as far as cultures go and how we all get along together. I mean, it, it, Winnipeg is the place for that in some ways. I think even with the aboriginal, uh, there's a few things with this, uh, that are going on with, the, with the, our, our uh, First Nations as far as... Uh, uh, the stuff we're trying to do there and they you know with the residential schooling session we seem to be a focus of where this is all coming through i just think that human rights in general winnipeg has always seemed to me as to being one of those all-inclusive like i've lived here my whole life uh i am of mixed race and uh i've never felt uh different in a lot of ways for you know for being of a different color or just a different race in general I think that uh, Winnipeg has been, of all the places that I've lived, I've always liked Winnipeg the the most for that. Where are some of the places? Where are some? Where are some of the places you've lived, Jeff? Just so we have some context. Uh, Edmonton, I've lived in, and uh, well, and Dryden, but that's out in you know that's still in Manitoba here. Right. But I, I found <laughs> that Winnipeg, as far as that, you know, and I've been to a lot of other places, visited, but I just find that Winnipeg to me seems very inclusive in a lot of ways. All right. Jeff, thank you very much. We're always trying to better ourselves. I think that's the thing about Winnipegers is that we're always trying to to step forward and not back. Yeah. All righty, Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you. I think, uh, Joseph, and we have Natalie here on the line. Uh, Hi, Natalie. Glad you were able to join us. Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And you know, before, and before we just get to this TEDx exchange, uh, uh, before we mm-hmm. delve into that a little bit more, I'd like uh, Natalie and Joseph, both of you, to respond to Jeff's comments because I think he brings up a great point. Just yeah. just as an example, yeah, and this is there's no scientific basis for this at all, but when I go to Ikea or I go shopping, I will hear five or six different languages being spoken just like that. And I really think Jeff brings up a good point. This is a very multicultural city. Yes, I'd actually love to respond to that. Yeah, go for it. Um, I have a very, yeah, very similar experience. I, um, I was born in Winnipeg. I've lived in many countries and many places in Canada. And um, when I came back here about 25 years ago, I really fell in love with the city and never left. And I consider it home. I couldn't imagine living somewhere else. And I do agree, like, um, my mom is an immigrant, so I'm first-generation Canadian. Um, my parents and grandparents all spoke different languages. So, yes, I do I do really sense that, like, this is a place where we've all come. There's sort of this lack of pretentiousness. It's just people trying to live and make, um, have a happy life and, and make, um, make a difference, you know? So I, I love Winnipeg. And that's part of the reason why when, when I heard TEDx Exchange District was coming, I'm like, what can I do to make this city um, put the city on the map in a, in a completely different way. And you can see why she is the co-chair of this <laughs> yeah. event, too. You, know, just the, the you guys are cut the from vision. the same yeah. cloth. <laughs> it, you know, it, it, as oh, hey, well, Joseph. hey, Natalie, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I love, you know, the suggestion that human rights could could be one of the, the beautiful pillars that, you know, Winnipeg can be recognized for. And, 
you know, I think with that, it's just recognizing that good can come out of what often is perceived as bad. You know, so we, we talk about this Winnipeg being labeled as the most racist city. Well, what has happened since then? Right. You know, a year of reconciliation, you know, the different things that have come out of that and the discussions that it started. And, uh, you know, there are always opportunities for growth and change. And that has always been true throughout history. You know, uh, it wasn't too long ago in history that it was a normal paradigm for things to be so different in so many countries. And now equality is moving forward. And for us to recognize that progress is when people say, yes, there are opportunities for growth and let's take action, not just, you know, complain about them. Okay, because we have Natalie and Joseph in separate venues. Natalie, I'm going to ask you to weigh in on, uh, just before we continue the conversation here, what is uh, TEDx Exchange District? And then after you've explained that, Joseph, maybe you can jump in and and talk about how this particular event coming up in October has been developed. So, Natalie? Sure. Um, So, TEDx Exchange District um, is, well, this is a... um, a beautiful project that's sort of born out of uh, a vision that Joseph had for bringing positive change to Winnipeg and putting Winnipeg on the map in a completely different way. I don't know how much he's said about this already, so forgive me if I'm repeating. But, uh, yeah, just to to change the narrative around the way that Winnipeg is viewed, um, I think as people that live here, you know, we kind of understand ourselves to be much more than the slurpy capital of Canada or, you know, most racist city that, there's also, you know, this, we are, are the most charitable city year after year, the most charitable province um, per capita. And just some of the other things that maybe aren't known and shared about Winnipeg and some of the really cool grassroots things that are happening here to create positive change that people in the city don't even necessarily know about and certainly not um, outside of Canada. We want to bring that to the global stage with TEDx Exchange District. Yeah, and you know, uh, quite simply, from a you know tactical level, it's a it's a one uh, one day event. You know, it'll it'll be held in the the evening, um, and it's a built on the theme of change through exchange. We have assembled a roster of speakers that are all you know uh, world class thought leaders in in their uh, in their own regard and in their industry, um, and it's a combination of speakers uh, from here in Winnipeg that are doing world caliber stuff. Uh, that needs to be recognized on the world stage as well as talked about here in the community. And it's a combination as well of uh, speakers from around the world that are are the best in the world at what they do that will come in and share uh, their expertise in a way that will elevate our community. So we, we have, in addition to you know some incredible speakers from within the community that deserve to be recognized around the world, we also have some New York Times bestselling authors. We've got you know people who've been on Oprah. You know we have some uh, really really high caliber people that are all coming in and are bought into this vision that Natalie said of how do we how do we elevate the community? How do we celebrate Winnipeg and uh, you know spark the positive change on the issues that matter here in the city? So who gets to go and be a part of this? Yeah. Thing? It's it's open to the public, um, so anyone can come. Uh, you know, information um, are uh, can be found at TEDxExchangeDistrict.ca. Uh, um, the tickets will be going on sale next week. Uh, yeah. So right now we're we're currently just running a contest. Uh, you know, uh, one person and three of their friends will be entered for a you know VIP experience where we'll pick them up in a limo. You know, treat them VIP. They can meet the speakers, the team, and, and all of that. Um, but tickets will go on sale to the public uh, next week. Right now, we're just getting the word out. And so I, I now I know uh, uh, with uh, all TEDx uh, um, 
events, we have speakers. Can't really talk about that yet, but can we get a little hint? Can we get a little peek behind the curtain? You know, we we spent, um, you know, we started about a year and a half ago, and, and this is where Natalie and I have, have just really uh, been really, really, I guess proud is the word, right, Natalie, of, of our, our team yeah. and all of the people that have come on board because we sat down and spent hours and hours and hours um, asking the question, what are the ideas and issues um, that, if addressed, would help make the quality of life better? Um, and we, we we came up with a list of about 45 of those. Um, and then from that and working with, you know, uh, key stakeholders in the community and public, we found these are the things that we need to address. And from that is where we then went out and found those speakers. Uh, Natalie and Joseph, I want you speaking of issues that uh, need to be addressed. We got a text uh, here uh, from one of our listeners. And it, it, I think it touches on an, an interesting point, especially when it comes to our downtown. This is being done, uh, this text is, is sarcastic, obviously, here, but most out-of-towners get the biggest thrill seeing the Huffers staggering around downtown. Whenever they come back, they always ask for another ride downtown. We got a couple other people texting similar things as well, wow. saying, you see, you know, the homeless population downtown is an example, and mm-hmm. people, you know, they they don't like being accosted to be asked for, cha- uh, for change and that sort of thing. Uh, and I will use this as a uh, as an example here. Um, regardless of the facts or how much crime or whatever takes place downtown, there is a perception out there of our city's core. And when you look at, for instance, let's say you go downtown and you get asked for change every time you go down there, you may choose not to do that anymore because you find it an unpleasant experience. And I have to wonder, how do we tackle that perception how do we improve that in saying you know this is this is the, this may be a reality of downtown but there's so much more to it than this because there are a lot of people like that texter saying that's all we know our city mm-hmm. center for natalie you want to take that one sure well i mean i'll take i'll take it in my opinion and my part for sure is um yes that's the that is the truth and that that is um that's the truth of every major city by the way um and you know, what we wanted to do with TEDx was not deny that that is a reality. We want to look that in the face, and we want to make Winnipeg a better city for all of its citizens. So by choosing the um, topics that we chose, we want to tackle exactly those issues. We want people in the city to, like, like I said, we have people in this city that are looking for a place to contribute we have wonderful, warm-hearted people that want to make a difference. They just don't know how. So here at TEDx Stage, we get to showcase and bring in some people with these brilliant ideas that are change makers. People can get inspired by the vision, and perhaps it's exactly those issues that we find solutions to. Putting Winnipeg on the map as like this city is leading with the heart and making making positive change. People will watch what we do here for sure. And just the other day, the announcement came out from Silo Mission that they are expanding their footprint. So that directly addresses part of that situation. And Joseph, I know you're just, you've been <laughs> twitching just at the, at, the, at the chair here to get involved in this as well. We, you know, I, I love what Natalie said, you know, of, of seeing those issues and looking them straight in the face. And, and Tristan, you talked about uh, this is a complex issue. There are a lot of things. It's oh, yeah. not just someone saying, I'm going to sit around sure. on, on the street and, and, you know, harass people. Um, but I'm really excited because one of this is one of the issues that we have talked about is you know the poverty and and homelessness and just so happens we happen to have found a world class thought leader on that subject who will be presenting not just a perspective but solutions um, for us uh, that intersect from that policy down and you know bottom up. 
Natalie Reimer-Anderson and Joseph Ranseth, co-chair and chair of the TEDx Exchange District event, which is taking place uh, in a few months, to open up a dialogue with Winnipeggers about how we improve Winnipeg and how do we put it on the world stage. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll have weather up next. We're going to continue the conversation. And if you have any more texts, any more feedback, 204-780-6868, if you wish to contribute on how you would put Winnipeg on the world stage. We still have a few texts that we can read here. And again, we will continue that conversation. It's Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry uh, as we head towards your Tuesday afternoon commute. Joining us in studio is Joseph Ranseth, Winnipeg advocate and uh, chair of the upcoming TEDx Exchange District event, which is coming up in October. And we also have Natalie Reimer-Anderson, co-chair of the event. And we're talking about how do we put Winnipeg uh, how do we get Winnipeg on the world stage? How do we tackle some of the issues that face Winnipeggers? And uh, we've been getting a couple of really good ideas from our texters about uh, Winnipeg being on the world stage. Someone here mentioning, we have amazing researchers at the Microvirology Lab, an astounding selection of world-class stage performers, and a world-class polar bear exhibit. This person says, Winnipeg, when it comes to those things, Winnipeg is already on the world stage. Someone else here saying, how about better advertising our city's accomplishments, such as the many well-known musicians, along with the music they produced, which came out of our great city over a number of years. That's got to be part of the problem, isn't it? We don't know how to market ourselves. Well, you know, I I think modesty is a virtue, and uh, there's also a time and a place to to celebrate. Yeah. You know, and uh, we have so many phenomenal things, and a lot of it is is precisely that is you know let's let's put our fist in the air and say yeah you know we did it and let's celebrate and it's just a matter of talking about those things and, and shining light on those accomplishments. Yeah, Natalie, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this too. How do we get better at marketing what's good about the city? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all of that. And, and I would like to also add that um, culture cuisine is also um, making a name for itself internationally with um, some of the things that we're doing with, with raw almond and um, other things like that that are happening that are just drawing such massive attention. I think it is true. We have uh, a little bit of a small city syndrome where we don't know how to um, boast our accomplishments and I think that's one of the reasons that TEDx Exchange is going to be so amazing is because we are showcasing local people doing amazing things. And so, I mean, this is a stage, this is a forum for exactly that. Like, TED is a juggernaut. It's got its, it, like, a life of its own. It's its own brand. So showcasing anybody that, that uh, you know, wants their story told and has a big idea, that's what, uh, what this is meant to do. I know we're getting up against the clock here. So, Joseph, uh, maybe uh, just quickly, you said that was the homeless and a world-renowned speaker on that subject was one of the 45 issues. You can't go through all 45, but what would be another one or two that uh, you'd want to highlight? You know, what has really inspired me is as we've talked with the public about uh, what some of those issues should be. Uh, we've identified a, a beautiful mix of, you know, what are some of the policy changes? What are some of the structural changes that need to happen? And then what are just some of the mindset, you know, and individual personality things um, as well? And so our roster, you know, we have seven speakers uh, that we've put together that are, are an intersection of those. Um, so we have some things that are really uh, meant to tackle some of those really complex, difficult issues 
that if we can get everyone talking about, think, you know, so for example, you know, how do we address homelessness and urban poverty? Um, that's a great one. You know, uh, reconciliation. Uh, you know, these are important issues uh, to talk about from uh, multiple perspectives. Um, but we've also talked about, uh, you know, <laughs> there, are, there are folks who like to be naysayers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a time and a place to be pessimistic so that we can spot the opportunities. But what's the mindset shift that helps us to take mm-hmm. that and put that into practice? Um, we've, we've got a world, world, uh, world leader on that, that topic. Uh, and, and we've got someone in the, uh, the science, uh, industry and, uh, you know, we can't, uh, we can't leak all the, all the secrets, yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. but, uh, with huh. some, um, mind blowing research, uh, that is blowing the lid off of some of the assumptions we've made about personal medical science, um, that are now being, uh, proven to be, to be untrue and what we can do about it in a practical uh, way. I think what's important here is, uh, just before we wrap up, it's that we aren't doing the sort of typical uh, politician response of everything's great, there's no problem, and blah, blah, blah. We are looking at the problems, they're addressing the problems and saying, we have issues here, so how do we fix them? Because too often in this city, you get the people who say everything sucks, and you have the people who say everything's great, and the ninety percent of people, I would argue, who are in the middle, who say not really there. Kind of vanilla to it, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's important to note that yes, this is about celebrating Winnipeg, but it's also talking about those issues that people are discussing. And with about sixty seconds to go here, Natalie, uh, just before we turn it over to Joseph, one of the things he was saying is your event is not meant to be the pinnacle, and then we all go our separate ways and start all over again, but rather it's going to be the launch pad. That's right. Yeah, it's about, you know, bringing forward the big ideas that catalyze action, that get people excited about the possibility of being involved and contributing to positive change. That's what we want to do. Our, our goal is uh, on year two to come back and say from year one and the ideas that were presented, here is the action that the community took and the report that we are pleased uh, to give on the change that has been been catalyzed from that. So our call to action is for the naysayers, the Pollyannas, and everyone in between, come to the event, come be a part of the change, be a part of the dialogue, and help move this forward so that this city can be what we uh, dream it to be, what uh, you know we aspire uh, to see it become, uh, and to be a part of that so that each person can tap their themselves on the back and say, I helped make the change that I wanted to see. Alrighty, Natalie Reimer Anderson and Joseph Rancis, thank you, thank you both so much. This has been a fabulous conversation, and uh, I'm sure there'll be some fabulous conversation at this upcoming event. And uh, just based on some of the early feedback we've getting, we've been receiving, I should say, Winnipeggers are eager to talk. Yeah, and we'll, uh, Joseph just mentioned, tickets go on sale next Monday, August the twenty first at tedexchangedistrict.ca, and we will also put that uh, link up on our Facebook page just for everybody to be able to have access to it as well. Thanks for having us. All righty then. Thank Uh, you. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. We will have your news coming up at 3 o'clock and uh, with a a weather update as well. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry on this Tuesday afternoon. That was a little bit warmer than we were expecting here, Kelly. I kind of dressed for a slightly cooler day. and yeah. Well, I, I don't know where you got that from. I knew it was going to be in the upper 20s. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's yeah. not It's not fall yet in Winnipeg, Tristan. Well, we're still enjoying yeah. the lazy, hazy, somewhat crazy days of August.
I like that. The lazy, yeah. hazy, and somewhat crazy days of August. Yeah. But you, oh, come on. Tell me you're not so young you don't remember Nat King Cole, the lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. He, okay. <laughs> I know who Nat King Cole the blank, is. The blank stare on his face said it all. <laughs> I know who Nat King Cole is. Yeah. Not, I'm not a completely uneducated pleb. But anyway, uh, speaking of being uneducated, um, we have an eclipse hmm. Coming up. And as you know, Kelly, the eclipse uh, means that uh, the end of the world is happening or something along those lines, right? Yeah, well, there are all kinds of different beliefs and myths out there. One thing we can tell you for sure, the eclipse will begin uh, next Monday at about 11.40 a.m. The maximum would be 2.57 p.m. And then it would end around 2.15 p.m. Thereabouts. So... Depending on where you are. We got a great uh, article here from our friends at our Global News Online team about some of the most common (laughs) myths regarding the eclipse. Some of these are quite funny. Um, One of them here, for instance, uh, a South Carolina woman is calling all witches to Myrtle Beach on August 21st to attend a solar eclipse celebration that will act as a spiritual rebirth. That's kind of interesting. That's more of a tradition than a myth. Uh, But in terms of myths, solar eclipses emit special radiation that can cause blindness this is not true apparently it's more of a modern superstition uh it's important that if you do choose to look at the solar eclipse you protect your eyes appropriately right and we can't emphasize that enough because we will now granted we won't be in what they call the path of totality here in winnipeg but right. we will get a pretty that'll good be view further of it. south yeah. yeah that'll be i think more towards omaha nebraska those right. areas yeah. having said that though we will get a pretty decent view of it Assuming it's a nice, clear day. No, at the time of the morning that I drive in, Coast to Coast AM is on. Oh, boy. And, of course, they've been... But there was one... They had uh, Dr. Stephen Cates, who's, you know... Or, or Stephen Cates, who's Dr. Sky. You know, always keep your eyes to the skies. But <laughs> one of the things he said, I thought it was pretty cool. You can get a Ritz cracker or or even a saltine cracker... Oh, yeah. ...that has the holes in it. Yeah, yeah. You So when the eclipse happens, you, you put the cracker up to there and the light... From the eclipse will come through onto a piece of paper, and you'll get a pretty neat visual of it that way. I thought that was... That I, is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, you know, most of the time I agree with you. I everybody's Everybody is entitled to their opinion. It is a wildly popular show on 680 CJOB, but uh, I'm, I'm not always buying what they're selling. No. But I thought I, that one caught my... My That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. I wonder what other objects uh, That's you, you can do. That's not a myth, do. by the way. No, I know no, that not at all. What we're talking about here. Um, yeah. Another myth: pregnant women shouldn't watch eclipses. No, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> this one's one of my favorites. The sun is being eaten. In ancient times, this is true. Okay, there you go. That was in ancient times. (laughs) In ancient times, people came up with lots of explanations about what was happening to the sun. Many cultures imagined that the sun was being eaten during an eclipse. The ancient Chinese word for eclipse, xi, was the the same uh, as the word to eat, and the Mayans were the same. Uh, That begs a question. What exactly is eating the sun? In central Mexico, people imagined it was a jaguar. In the Andes, it was a mountain lion. In parts of Europe, it was a dragon. And uh, in other, in ancient Hindu myth, a decapitated head of a demon. Why is this stuff not in 
I, I expect to see this in a C.S. Lewis novel or something along those lines. <laughs> I expect to hear this about uh, or about this rather in Coast to Coast AM tomorrow. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if there are any. And finally, uh, dragon be gone. We mentioned about the dragon, no. about the sun being eaten by a dragon. Many cultures would make noise during an eclipse to scare off whatever was eating the sun. And it's a tradition uh, that can uh, that carries on in certain extents to this day. Uh, and uh, what happens is there's even a hashtag. Hashtag dragon be gone as kind of a, a throwback, if you will, to this ancient tradition that uh, a dragon or a mountain lion or a jaguar was eating the sun. Okay, you're the uh, self-professed weather guru uh, here on our uh, staff. Monday, are the conditions going to be favorable? Because we're not going to get the total solar eclipse no. here in Winnipeg. We'll get the partial. Uh, I think it's about three quarters or something like that. Uh, that it's we'll close yeah. to 80%. It's still not bad, mind sure. you. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I haven't really been, um, here's the thing, as, as someone who very much focuses on the short term, especially being a storm chaser, right. I, I tend, anything that's further out than, frankly, three days, it's not easy to tell. So far, it looks okay. But, you know, we're sitting here Tuesday afternoon, that's six days away I really wouldn't count on any forecasts. I know there's some people out there, you can get like 45 or 90 day forecasts. Frankly, anything beyond day three is unreliable and questionable at best. So it looks okay so far, but you know, I'd say you will get a much better idea by the time Friday or Saturday comes around. And just for a little fun, don't forget your saltines or your Ritz crackers. You can have some fun with that. <laughs> that is, you know what? I that is gonna be fun, I think. Let's see if, and let's see if we can think of any other objects that have holes in them that might give us some interesting patterns as well that we can uh, look at on the ground. Uh Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore with you, filling in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry on this Tuesday afternoon. We've received plenty of feedback regarding our conversation in the two o'clock hour about putting Winnipeg on the world stage. We'll take a look at these. We might respond to that. And I know, Kelly, uh, you want to chat about the Canada Summer Games legacy list. Let's do that after the break. And Kelly will have a weather and traffic update for you next. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore, Mackling and McGarry. Well, not exactly. It's Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Brett McGarry will be back tomorrow. Greg Mackling off on some well-deserved vacation. Brett off. Some, Brett is returning from some equally well-deserved vacation. I'll be nice to him because he's not here. Uh, yeah, I think you should probably be nice to him. He's about six <laughs> inches taller, 20, into, 20 pounds. And in much better larger, shape. And in far superior shape to you. Uh, Kelly, I know you wanted to chat about this year. Yeah. As we mentioned many times, Canada Summer Games, a fabulous success. Yeah, also not only in the present, but also for the future. Right, exactly. Yeah. So talk about this legacy list here. Yeah, and very quickly, I'm also going to talk, uh, if I have the time, sure. about a, a quick change to the format of the Westman Classic, which has been going on for the last 50 years here in Winnipeg. But uh, yeah, earlier today, uh, the Canada Summer Games announced their legacy list through uh, Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. And th- basically, Tristan, this is some of the equipment uh, that was uh, used during the Summer Games, and then other items that were not used mm-hmm. but are being passed along. So, uh, for example, if you have uh, a son or a daughter who are playing minor baseball, 480 competition-level baseballs are being wow. donated. Uh, if uh, And I know the basketball community here is outstanding. 144 competition basketballs, 24 high-level beach volleyballs. 340 competition-level softballs, 
184 competition soccer balls, 1,500 tennis balls, and 120 competition volleyballs. So that's, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are many more items on this list. I'm not going to go through them all, but I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of some of the things that are being donated. But when the list is all said and done, Tristan, yeah. we're talking about $800,000 in terms of the overall value. So what happens here? Do they simply, I mean, I'll look at, uh, for instance, the tennis sure. balls, right? 1500 Is that just a matter of they ordered too many or... What happened there? I, well, I'm not sure. I, I really wouldn't be able to tell you. I, I would say that they would base their order on previous mm-hmm. summer games, and for whatever reason, those, or or maybe, you know, they're gently used tennis balls. Right. You know, they, they might have been used for, you know, a, a, a volley or a game or something like that. Uh, and, and and then others are, are perhaps new. I, I don't know. I, did, I wasn't at the news conference, sure. so I'm not quite sure. Uh, I would suggest this is all, th- this would all be new stuff, though. Uh, that would be my guess. I wouldn't know that for 100% for sure. But, I mean, for instance now, uh, docks, a pontoon boat, and a start tower for rowing. Obviously, those were used during the competition. Right. But because they're in pristine shape, they're going to be donated uh, to the Camelops, Row, or the Camelops, the Winnipeg Rowing Association. <laughs> And, and going back to your BC days, no there. kidding, yeah. Uh, well, it, because you know, and and I and it's interesting for rowing and paddling because, mm-hmm. of course, the flag bearer for the opening ceremonies was rower Emma Gray, and the flag bearer for the closing ceremonies was paddler Maddie Mitchell. So you know, it's kind of cool that some of this stuff is being donated uh, to to water sports as well. Well, and yeah. this is uh, this is fabulous, I think, and it's in way, Winnipeg and not Kamloops. Well, well yeah, <laughs> just to make that clear, <laughs> and I think Kelly, this is far better than what what happens far too often. Uh, after Olympic Games, as yeah. an example, how many times have we seen those those massive stadiums or mm-hmm. Olympic villages rot yeah. afterwards? I mean, it's pretty. You just do doesn't, a quick. Doesn't happen all the time, but it happens often and enough. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, just do a quick Google search of you know abandoned Olympic facilities, and yeah. I'm sure you'll find something. I could be mistaken about this, but I believe some of the facilities at Sochi in Russia already, after three years, have been abandoned and haven't well, been maintained. Rio, I guess uh, it's the same thing. Just a year later, you yeah. know, they're just they're sitting there, not being used, and that. Uh, in itself as a crime. Uh, a, a Christmas tradition in Winnipeg is the Westman Classic. It's right. been uh, boys and, and university men's basketball for the 50 years. Well, now they're extending to different genders and different sports. Uh, starting this year, men's volleyball is going to take over. So they'll have men's volleyball, women's basketball, men's basketball, and they're going to rotate mm-hmm. on a on a yearly basis. So it won't always be men's basketball every year at the Classic. It's going to be men's volleyball. So uh, they're doing something a little bit different there too. Uh, again, you know, people would say, well, you know, it's a basketball tournament, but they're looking at ways of making this better. And volleyball is such a huge sport in this community, as we witnessed during that gold medal final between right. uh, Manitoba and Alberta. So uh, some neat things happened today on the sporting front here in our city as well. Yeah, that's fabulous. Anytime that uh, those materials, especially for big events like the Canada Summer Games, anytime those materials can be reused and gives more amateur athletes an opportunity to you know, perfect themselves, yep. I think that's absolutely fabulous. And we've seen on a grander scale what happens when our athletes, you know, really give her, you know, the Vancouver Olympics of 2010 owned the podium. Canada had, I believe Canada broke the record for the highest number of gold medals in a Winter Olympics. So... Go Canada and yeah. go Winnipeg. And go Manitoba. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore in for you. We will have a quick weather update and then sports with Clay Young, Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. It is Tristan Field-Jones 
and Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry, doing our best here to get you home safely as we start the commute on this Tuesday afternoon. Kelly, we received a ton of feedback regarding our conversation in the two o'clock hour. We had Joseph Ranseth and Natalie Raymer Anderson on regarding an upcoming TEDx Exchange District event taking place, where the goal is, simply put, to get people talking about issues in Winnipeg, and they're going to have speakers there. And you know, Kelly, there may be naysayers out there, there may be people who have their heads in the sand, but regardless of your position, Winnipeggers want to talk. Yeah, they certainly do. And and for the most part, uh, you know, again, I, I take a look at some of the texts we receive, and they are there purely to bait. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, uh, because I, I think at the end of the day, if you talk to these people face-to-face, I'm not sure that they would communicate the same way. I don't know that for 100%, but I'm I'm always going to take a look at the glasses half full. Uh, but, you know, whether you bring up a problem in a negative or Uh, in a positive fashion. The fact of the matter is that you've brought up a problem that needs to be confronted. And the people we heard from, Joseph and Natalie and their group, they're willing to confront it. So that would be the good thing. But uh, I I know uh, one of the more recent texts we received, promoting Winnipeg when traveling in or out of the country, we leave postcards or pamphlets everywhere (laughs) we stay or eat. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that would have the desired effect, but I say good on you for being <laughs> yeah. as proud of your city and province as you are. Uh, Eve texting us, one of our regular listeners with a couple of slogans, tongue-in-cheek, uh, Winnipeg, earthquake-proof. <laughs> it's not a bad one. Or how about Winnipeg, weather happens here, we dress for it. Yeah. I, it, okay, see, those I can get behind because those are funny. Yeah. I can yeah. appreciate that for sure. There's a little creativity happening there. Right, exactly. So thank you very much, Eve. I, I like the weather one. Winnipeg, weather happens here, we dress for it. Uh, yeah. yeah, weather does happen here. Uh, Kyle mentioning one guy, uh, and we were discussing about the parallels with Winnipeg and Austin, Texas, which comes up very frequently, Austin mm-hmm. being kind of Winnipeg of the South. Uh, Austin, Texas, which is known as being a place to be for musicians, he says, well, drawing on our history as a musical talent-producing city, Winnipeg needs to become Austin North. And I think that's, uh, that is one thing we should do as Winnipeg. We need to find, and someone brought this up earlier too, we tend to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. We need to find that area where we can say, you go to Winnipeg because of this. Yeah. You need, you need to, to, to move here because of Well, what that. about the museum of uh, human rights or the Human Rights Museum? I mean, to me, that, that would be something you would come to Winnipeg for. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Now, it's not a major event, but it is a major building. And, yes, there are a lot of people that, that write it off simply as a, a monstrosity that's costing this, many, uh, this city and province lots of money. But, you know what, the bottom line is, do, me, do, our, do yourself a favor. Never mind me or Tristan or anybody else like that. Do yourself a favor. And if, that, if that's your mindset now, but then, you know, spend the money. Go take a tour of the Human Rights Museum, and if you feel the same way after seeing it, so be it. But at least you've taken the time to experience it. Right, and there are things, and I think we're doing a better job, although there's still a lot of work to do at promoting the city, Mm -hmm. and at also tackling those issues, because I think for a long time this city has suffered... uh, 
uh, has suffered, a, frankly, a lack of leadership. We haven't had enough people who have had the vision and the leadership ability to say, hey, this is what we're going to do in Winnipeg. And I'm talking more so at the political levels. At the community level, we've seen mm -hmm. tremendous activism. But in terms of the people who control the public purse strings and the people who control, you know, the overall arcing vision of this city, I mean, I think we need more more leadership from municipal and provincial governments too. During that conversation, you brought up the point you were in a major uh, department store in Winnipeg, and you said that you heard you can at any one time hear six different languages being yeah. spoken. Yes. Uh, this texter said, Tristan, explain why listening to six different languages is a good thing. It breeds division, not inclusion. You have to wake up. Well, I, I'm sorry, and and. Our colleagues are going to be in amazement here, but I'm going to agree with Tristan. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think it creates division, and I'm going to disagree with the texture. I will respect your opinion. I just won't agree with it. Uh, you say what? Uh, why is that a good thing? Because I think that it purely uh, provides evidence that we are a city that welcomes everyone, mm -hmm. and we are a city that also respects everybody's culture. So, you know, it, now it's different if you're going to be speaking to me in a language I don't understand, right. then we're not going to have much of a conversation. But, you know, why shouldn't a family be able to speak in their native tongue if they are speaking amongst themselves? And quite frankly, Tristan, I, I, I when you said that, I thought, you know, I love that. That's kind of cool. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. the kind of vibe that makes me feel good about where I live. So if you're asking why is it a good thing, that's because it is a good thing. I don't think it creates division. No, not, not at, all. at all. And I think yeah. if these people are talking amongst themselves in their own language, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But if you want to believe it's a bad thing that it creates well, division, so be it. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. No, I'm absolutely. just going to tell you that you're, you're not going to get me to agree to your thought process. I, I just think there are very few... I think there are very few cities or places around the world where you can hear so many different languages and people are, so many different languages are experienced, so many different cultures. Right, and people feel comfortable and right. they feel and there's no, there's no to be able to communicate that There's way. no violent conflict, there's no. no riots, nothing like that. And I think that's something to be very proud of because yeah. it's difficult getting people to get along with one another. <laughs> it really is. Uh, Adam here just texting us saying, he tried the Human Rights Museum, half, ex half of the exhibits are closed. He said, I won't go back, waste of money. Well, Adam, okay. at least... Well, at least you, you went. Yeah, at least yeah. you tried. So, hey, you yeah. looked at that, that's your opinion on it. I'm willing to respect that because you tried. How long ago, Adam, if you're listening, how long ago did you go? Because uh, perhaps uh, that should be a call that we should make. Why are half the exhibits closed? Right, exactly. Yeah. And again, I went to several years ago. It might be worth revisiting just to see yeah. if anything there has it's changed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, oh, Adam here just texted, says so you went last ago. summer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That might be worth uh, looking into for sure. Yeah, but again, we'll Adam, at least you that. tried it. Yeah. So, hey, you can you have every right to complain here. If you didn't try it and you complain, well... Yeah. You're not going to get much sympathy from us here. And Jack says the longevity of Folklorama shows the amazing cultural diversity that our amazing city has. Uh, Rui here just texting real quick. How do you know if they're respecting you if we cannot understand them? Well, how do you know they are disrespecting you if you cannot understand? <laughs> exactly. and, and frankly, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what language it is. Even if you don't understand the language, I think uh, it can be pretty obvious sometimes when somebody is not paying respect. Yeah. When we go overseas, yeah. and if we're in a, in a foreign country, we're speaking English. That doesn't mean we're disrespecting yeah. uh, the Spaniards, the Portuguese, or, or the Thais, or the Chinese, or wherever we yeah. might be on our world travels. And yet we feel comfortable enough to speak 
English in those countries. Yeah, in in most countries yeah. anyway. But uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway. Feel free to text us anytime, yeah. 204-780-6868. The bottom line is you're communicating, and that's why I always say, you know, your opinion is your opinion. It is respected. Sometimes it's not always agreed with, and that's what makes us unique. Just get a quick traffic note in here. Uh, people on uh, from Eve, people on southbound Kiwaitan have to clear the Inkster uh, intersection or not enter the intersection. There's construction on the southbound uh, on yeah. the southbound road here, so it looks as if it looks yeah, as there's if, an issue at Kiwaitan and Inkster. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to. That's called tech. That's what yeah. happens when you read text unfiltered. There, it's just yeah. you're trying to figure out what this. Well, Eve, thank you very much for <laughs> for the text there. You uh, might want to reread your text, uh, Eve, and then just give us uh, a, a little better idea of yeah. the traffic you're trying to pass along. <laughs> I think we'll figure that out. Speaking uh, of which, we'll have weather and traffic up next, and then Richard Kluche and Julie Buckingham will be in to preview the news. It's Kelly Moore and Tristan Field Jones in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Not exactly. It's Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore filling in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. We have Richard Cluche, Julie Buckingham, who will be uh, taking you home 4 to 7 on the news. Uh, before we do a preview of your show, Rich and Julie, I want to run this past you. We got a couple of great texts while we were discussing the changes in the healthcare system. And uh, from two nurses, one whose position has been eliminated, she asked that we not uh, reveal her name or any identity. But what's interesting is that they were saying the unions have have not given them a lot of information. And in fact, in terms of them knowing about the future of their position, it's been incredibly murky. Now, Rich, I know you've got your finger pretty much everywhere. Uh, I'd be interested in knowing where... If you've heard anything similar from people who are affected by these changes in the healthcare well, system, well, and the process is really starting now. And I think one of the issues they make the announcement in April, and uh, it's a matter of getting their process together. A major step announced today for three healthcare facilities, but still no information on Concordia and Seven Oaks. Both sides of the story coming up on the four o'clock news and after four in detail. But yes, uh, some positions are being eliminated as you reconfigure a system. This is going to be fraught with headaches uh, throughout. At the end, there is the promise that healthcare will improve. I've always maintained that we have too many hospitals in our city. When you compare us to other major North American centers, we spread our resources too thinly. You have to concentrate them at two or, in this case, three sites where you're going to have the best of the best. And I think, like anything else, in any workplace, when there's change, <laughs> people either embrace change and be a part of change or they say this is going to create all sorts of problems. Now, we have to make sure that this is being done right, talk to the people, but in the end, uh, there is a big leap of faith here that the people in charge, the experts, have got it right. Mm-hmm. And uh, our job here is to try to explain as much as we can uh, and get insights into what's going to happen. But ultimately, this is going to be a painstaking process for those who work in the healthcare system and for those of us that use it. And I've also uh, known a lot of nurses. There's definitely fear and concern. And again, we'll delve a little deeper just after the four o'clock news with Manitoba Nurses Union and try and get some of those answers. And it's interesting. We talk about change. This is going to affect the apartment and real estate industry in our city. Our Global News colleague Sheldon Rogers will join us at five o'clock on how virtual reality is going to really change the world of real estate in this city. And there's already a company making significant headway 
in the apartment rental side. And uh, on the eve of International Joke Day, we've got Google joining us. Yes, and they've done (laughs) research on what jokes are being Googled the most in which province. So we got the Manitoba results oh. at about See 417. What kind of jokes Manitobans. I, I was kind of like, really? <laughs> they have Don't, to be about Saskatchewan. I was like, that's what we're Googling? Come on. We could do better than that. We'll, we'll, we'll have find it. Have you ever it. Googled them before? Jokes? I've asked Siri. Have you ever done mm-hmm. that? Ask Siri to tell you a joke? No, I meant like the jokes that you're going to, that no. the Manitobans have been asked. No. You're not one of the guilty parties. I am parties. not. Is Cloutier? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. No comment from Richard Cloutier there. <laughs> if he is, then we're going to have a discussion off the air about that. Ooh. Ooh. No, no, no. You can't do that. It always has to be on the <laughs> yeah, air. Yeah, exactly. You don't <laughs> save the best stuff for the cutting room floor. Anyway, Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham, uh, 4 till 7, the news here on 680 CJOB. Some great stuff coming up. Um, Kelly, we have just less than a minute here. Final yeah, thoughts? I have to get this in very quickly. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204 832 243. This does not apply to you being a condo dweller. Yes. Yeah. So you, I know you haven't, uh, you haven't uh, watered your lawn because you don't have a lawn to water. No, I've been living in a condo for several years already. Have you watered your lawn this summer? Though that's the question we're asking at cjob.com. And I would think over the last couple of weeks, people have to have at least been putting a little bit of agua. Yeah. yeah, it's been pretty dry. The grass is, in many locations, the grass is pretty brown. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, it's been fun. Last yeah. couple of days, I've really enjoyed this. I think we've had some great conversation. And uh, as always, we look forward to more conversation and uh, 204-780-6868, text us anytime. Yep, Brett McGarry's back with uh, TJ or TFJ tomorrow, rather. Uh, and we always like to make sure that we thank the rose between the two thorns. Speaking of our uh, Guns and Roses uh, tough trivia quiz, Ms. Savannah Pierce doing a wonderful job uh, at the controls. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Brett McGarry back tomorrow. The news is up next here on 680 CJOB.